A website is never finished, especially a B2B tech website. Welcome to Forward Slash, the podcast that explores how B2B tech companies can leverage their websites to achieve fast, efficient, predictable, and scalable growth. In each episode, I take a big issue affecting the B2B tech landscape and then pick the brains of marketing leaders around the world to learn how the issue affects the questions B2B tech marketers should be asking about their websites and how to answer them. Let's get into it. Karina Owens, Senior ABM Manager at Gong, host of the Reveal podcast, where you interview uh, revenue experts and explore how they use revenue intelligence and quite an established leader in the B2B tech sales and marketing spaces just in general. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Adam. It's a Friday. I'm talking to you. Things are things are all looking good, all up from here. Things are looking up. Yeah, it's always, I always enjoy recording on Friday because it just kind of lightens the mood a little bit. Uh, 100%. 100%. Do people actually work on Fridays? I don't know. Should we, should we get um, a, the three-day weekend going? I think they really don't. And I think that people need to come to the realization that people finish their jobs like on Tuesday. <laughs> or at least perhaps the overachievers in us. I'm, I'm working working towards uh, becoming one of those like you. But um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks for coming on, Karina. Um, you know, I've been following you for a little while now. And uh, what you're posting on LinkedIn, I just absolutely love it. All the things just around marketing and sales and, and go-to-market alignment, but just like also women empowerment and career development. It's just a refreshing take to see to see that content pop up, um, you know, uh, compared to all the platitudes that, that we usually see kind of sliding across our LinkedIn channel. So so thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you know, we're obviously going to be focused on ABM today, uh, ABM strategy. So, uh, you know, if we can just start there at, at a high level, we can just like take a step back. I want to learn about you, um, how you found your way uh, to ABM and and gong really uh if, you, sure. if you'd like to start there yeah well and thank you for calling that out adam it means a lot especially coming from a male to uh appreciate my um posts around what more we can do for female empowerment so thank you for being a true ally there um <laughs> yeah so how i found my way to abm um you know i've been in the business for a little over a decade now of b2b a little bit of b2c um, but just tech in general and always in the realm of marketing or selling. Um, I've been a quota carrier before. It was awesome when I won deals. It sucked when I did it. And I'm really not good at kissing ass. So <laughs> I realized I couldn't do that forever. Um, so I pivoted, I stated, I went back to marketing and it had always been very, um, centered around like how technology wanted you to think about success, right? Like MQLs mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I don't know, SQLs for six cents, right? So mm -hmm. there's all these terminologies and vernaculars that we use. And I always like just had a, um, a mindset of, well, I know my business better than anybody, right? I'm that marketer and I'm going to talk to the people who know their problems more than anybody. And that's my customers. And so I've built my demand capture generation strategies always from that starting point and then evaluated tech secondary. Um, so the way I actually started in ABM was at a company that was a SaaS company. And I actually knew that I couldn't present it to them with the vernacular of ABM. 
because in their minds that already had an association of expensive tool, tech stack that we're going to have to have a new budget line for, et cetera. So I actually was just very grassroots about it. I just said, hey, I've been noticing that these companies, like they're really having a lot of high intent, like with not just on our first party website, which is the most important intent data. Um, but you know, they're liking our LinkedIn page. They're liking some of our uh, influencers inside our companies. Like maybe we should spend our time focusing on these set of companies. We'll just run a mini campaign. So we ran uh, a mini LinkedIn campaign, um, conversational ad just to get booked meetings and found some success. Um, and in essence, you know, that's a small mini ABM campaign. Mm -hmm. um, so I then um, had the opportunity to actually run both not demand generation, but also ABM um, because when 2020 happened, everything moved to digital, right? Like nobody could count on these old school trade school uh, booths anymore. We all had to find a way to start connecting with one another. And um, LinkedIn, I mean, not just for marketing and sales, but it became the hub of professionals to connect with one another. So mm -hmm. um, I guess I'm saying all that to say that strategies like ABM, because that's what it should be seen as, as it should be seen as a go-to-market strategy. Um, became really important to a lot of companies and a lot of VCs. Um, and that's how I found my way to ABM. And then Gong was a very pleasant surprise because I um, had always been a major fangirl um, because I have been selling and marketing boring software my entire career. And they actually are not boring. I love their user interface. I love the way they went to market. I love that they were inclusive in the way they went to market. And I thought that was very bold and very brave. And that to me, like I really hung my head on as like a brand to admire and aspire to be a part of. And when I got the call uh, for an opportunity, I literally, it was like a out of body experience on a beach. I was like, holy crap, I got to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, now here I am at Gong. Uh, thank you for taking me through that. Yeah. Um, Gong, Gong is the gold standard and and I can imagine how excited you were when, when you got that call, but you obviously deserved it. Um, I, I, I would love to, uh, you know, eventually talk about some of the, success, the successful campaigns if you're able to get granular there. But um, if we can start at a high level, I want to frame this question with just like the, the general reality of, of B2B SaaS, hyper-competitive, right? Absolutely. Um, whether you're in MarTech, sales tech, what have you, it's pretty much like markets are smaller now and they're shrinking. And, and that, that's that's obviously a, a backdrop that we all have to consider here. Longer sales cycles, wallets are harder to open. Yep. Larger buyer groups. I'm curious if you're seeing that too. Uh, depending on who you talk to, it's, it, it sounds like these buyer groups are getting larger also because um, from what I'm assuming, it's just that companies don't want to make any bad fit purchases. And then behind all of that is this uh, this truth of the dark funnel and dark social sure. and we're like 75 percent of the journey is being ha is happening behind the scenes so um i wanted to you up here okay. uh be because i want to make sure that, that that we're covering the most pressing things but given this backdrop given this economic reality uh what are the biggest misunderstandings misconceptions around abm maybe it's like the top three to five that you have but but curious if, sure. if you want to start there well, first off, I love the way you frame the question because it has like something big has to happen in someone's personal life or in a in a business to make a change for them to really pay attention, right? 
And I think when we had that digital boom of digital sales, right? Like Gong was like flying by the seat of their pants. So, you know, mm -hmm. cash in the bank, like a lot of people. And then other people started to invest in the similar category and then became much more competitive. And now we're in a landscape where people are getting slashed with budgets and that includes people and that includes technology. And so does it matter if you're best in class anymore? Probably not, right? Like probably not for most organizations. It matters on, did you deliver an ROI? Are you making it like, are, have we adopted your product properly? Are we using it to its fullest potential? So it's really on the onus of companies now to take a really good hard look at their current uh, stack of customers and how are they utilizing your product? Because there is nothing harder than winning a net new business right? You've already put mm -hmm. in the work to win uh, a current customer. That's where you need to focus. And so for ABM as a strategy, I'm very grateful that we are now looking at it as a more holistic customer life cycle, right? Um, not just net new and land and pass off, but more mm -hmm. like we are there from like end to end. It's always on. Um, I think the biggest misconception about ABM to answer your other question is that it's a silver bullet. Um, and it's not, it's something that takes time. It's something that takes deep research and understanding. Um, and it's something that you can pivot from. So I've been at companies where they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on research, thinking that this was the right vertical, their product was a right market fit. And we did all the legwork up front, creating all this custom content, all these custom programs, only to find out that no, we were not a market fit. We were not solving their needs. It was way too niche of what they needed. And we couldn't serve that for them, no matter the kind of experience or uh, you know ease of sale, which is what we also aim to do with ABM. Um, but that's where you then become the strategic partner to your C-level suite, is that you deliver the hard truth of your go-to-market strategy and if it's working or if it's not. Um, I think some other misconceptions are that we keep changing the acronym all the time. It's ABM, it's ABX, it's it's it's, it's just good marketing. It's focused mm -hmm. marketing. And it's marketing that is um, probably the most cross-collaborative function within marketing or in, you know, in some organizations, period. Um, you know, when I'm going to start building out account lists with my sales team. I'm part of their tiering process, right? Like I'm part of the way they're thinking about going to market. I bring in data because I think the best marketers, especially account-based marketers are the ones that are, are stewards of account data. So part of that is me helping inform that strategy. And then part of it is agreeing that, okay, we agreed on the accounts. Now I need you to agree to what matters and when we're going to measure and what we're going to measure. Because I need to set expectations that I'm just because I am putting them in these programs, I'm not delivering you revenue tomorrow. There's going to be mm -hmm. time. So um, I always talk to people about setting really clear expectations on, you know, what is this program launch going to look like? Uh, one of those elements, and feel free, to, Adam, to stop me at any time if I'm rambling off in a wrong direction. Keep but, going. Okay. One of those elements is I'm it shocks me that not enough people do it, but having a control group. So a set of lookalike accounts, right? 
So you have your accounts. So you clearly say these are ABRM target must win accounts, but you need to have a control group of accounts to compare it to mm. because otherwise sales is just going to say to you, well, duh, we should have totally won that account. It had the best sales rep. It's the best market fit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so what we do is we create those, we agree to those uh, top accounts, but then we also do some data to say, hey, here are some accounts that look just like this account. It doesn't mean they're not going to get to serve demand generation programs. doesn't mean we're not going to try and gain their business, but they're not going to get that extra flavor of ABN treatment program budget spend or even my resources, as an example. Um, gotcha. And that helps us to show that, yes, I mean, last um, QBR I had around it, everything was up. Not only was our engagement on the website like massively increased over 200%, we had booked more meetings, opened more opportunities. We had a higher uh, uh, deal velocity. So deals moved faster through the funnel and they had a higher ACV. So it validates for us that yes, we chose the right accounts. Two, we um, did programs that helped convert that. And we can you know point to a time into where they maybe went to a virtual roundtable, and then the next day they got a meeting with the VP. That's a huge data point that's important to look at. Um, so we went off on a little rant there, but um, the biggest thing is to me with ABM is overcoming with people that it's not a silver bullet. It's a go-to-market strategy. It involves buy-in of several departments and some of the departments that I think we miss the most often is all you hear is sales marketing, sales marketing. There's mm -hmm. product marketing. I need, like, if I'm working in technology, I've got to be aligned with when those product releases are coming out because that's really important to the campaigns I'm going to plan, plan around. Um, also, um, the CEO, you know, that sounds extreme, but if my CEO can't say and explain to me what ABM means at Gong or any company I work at, then we're really not set up for the best success, right? It's got to be a top-down approach with your go-to-market strategy. And I firmly believe that the CEO owns that and ABM is a part of a go-to-market strategy. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm curious to, to, to explore how... Um how specifically ABM does fit into your go-to-market uh, practice. But I want to I lean into an obvious point um, that I think kind of, or a question that I believe irks you when, when, when it's ever asked. I want to start there. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned uh, in, in other interviews is, is ABM for everybody? And it seems like it's obviously it is, right? Like this, isn't, this is not an either or, this is a foundational go-to-market strategy, right? Anything, that, anything you, you want to add there? Yeah, it's, uh, I finally expressed in an interview, like my frustration of the question being asked of me. And it's now becoming like a topic that I've seen popped up on LinkedIn. Like, uh, yeah, this is what people are missing. It's not a piece of technology. It's not just a campaign. It is a full-fledged go-to-market strategy about how we are going to approach the market to win business and to maintain business. Um, and 
that's why I also tell people that you don't need to, a lot of people, when somebody says, hey, we want to do ABM, go research, go out there. They go to, you know, the top five big, you know, vendors. And I tell them, I'm like, they're not there to inform your strategy. They're there to deploy ads or whatever other element of their program they can do. They're not there to inform your strategy. So you can do ABM in Google Sheets. You can do ABM just out of like a LinkedIn ad campaign. Mm -hmm. You can do a in-person event. Like that can be part of an ABM tactic in your programs. So ABM absolutely is for everybody. And it's all about how are you going to market? I mean, that's really what it is. And when you silo it, right? When you silo ABM into a vacuum in marketing, and you don't get clear buy-in and buy-off from sales and uh, product and the C-suite, then you are going to likely fail because they don't understand fundamentally what it means. There was another great post. It was talking about, hey, your CEO asks you like how many MQLs came in this quarter. Like you need to reframe the questions for these people that don't understand your discipline so that, that, that you're framing it in a sense that it's a business problem. Yes, I hear you, CEO. You want a certain number of volume to show the board, to show that you're having success, to show that it's going to lead to this conversion, et cetera, et cetera. But there's so many layers to unpack, right, to get to that end result. And ABM is exactly the same way. There's so many things we have to do to earn the trust, understand the buying group, build the buying group, um, you know, go through the security process, make sure we've got those raving fans. Like there is just so much to unpack. And if we limit our conversations with the people that ultimately can like, you know, hire or fire us to just acronyms um, and don't, and not explain to them how they're actually like business problems you're solving then we're really risking the integrity of our discipline. Totally. Beautifully said. I think um, going back to the, the, the technology aspect of it, there was a, there's a line that's floating around that I really love and it's a tool or sorry, a fool with a tool is still a fool, right? You see, you, Absolutely. Need, the, you need the strategy behind it. Um, yep. So one of the things uh, that I, that I want to get your, your input on, uh, and, and it, and it, it kind of highlights the transition from ABM to ABX, right? AB, a, ABM, whatever you want to call it, it's a full funnel. It's a full journey experience, right? Acquisition, activation, retention, evangelism, what, what have you. Yeah. Um, how do you work with the other go-to-market teams? Because to me, it seems like uh, it's easy to, to step on toes, uh, whether it's working with the marketing team, the sales team, the customer success team. The way that you explain it, it sounds like you are an advisor to these groups, or they feed you with information that then you run with to, to kind of, uh, I guess, land and expand, if you will. I'm just seeing like a lot of overlap between, between like departments. I'm curious how you navigate that. Yeah. Um, it's funny you asked me that too, because I had, uh, uh, somebody from the leadership team, he, uh, took notice of a newsletter. I, I send out every month to the entire enterprise unit here at Gong. And it's just three things. It's what's new, what's working, and what's next. And mm -hmm. I've been doing it since I started Gong. And he was like, this is amazing. Like, where do you source this? I'm like, from everybody. Like, I have to be involved in every department to know how 
my outbound team is performing, to know how my inbound team is performing, to know how my um, client success teams are performing with these accounts, to really get a true understanding of where the customer is at in their journey so that I can continue to advocate for them. So uh, what's very important to me about any organization that I step into is that there's clear business goals and objectives and who aligns to what. And ABM is very well suited to be like spiderwebbed across all of mm -hmm. those different goals. Um, and so what I try to do, and this is a very simplistic answer and maybe not going to satisfy you, but in my whole career, if I've ever wanted to get something done for me, I've had to know what's in it for them. So what are their goals? What are their KPIs? What are their metrics? And then how can I get my ask by aligning it to what they have to get done too? So it's a very, um, like just, just science to how to interact with other people. Um, and that's typically what gets me, uh, through the doors. There's a lot I do that could be seen as stepping on other toes, <laughs> but the, but the art of it is that, Hey, we, I'll give you an example. Win loss survey calls are some of my most favorite things to do. Um, and I'm, I always make sure I've always made sure in my career that the buying group doesn't meet me or any marketers once you're a customer. Like you meet us, period. Like from when you want to talk to us, you're aware of who we are. You're creating stickiness, right? And there's and marketers are all about building relationships. So I've run I run those calls, right? At past companies, I have it here at Gong, um, and it's a very simple call, like. What was this process like for you? What ultimately made you want to choose our solution? Uh, and you, you know, what's funny is that that's so much more powerful for sales than a long four-page ROI case study. Like that's what sales needs to get deals over the line is the simplicity of it all. Like what problem did you have? And why was it that this company or this solution why was it them that made you be like, yep, sold? And too often, I think in other departments like customer marketing, that's probably the, the, the that, that is probably the one that I could step on the most, right? Because I'm entering the journey way before them, right? I already know who, who these, these people are. I've already had them on events. I've already had them give testimonials. But what does that do? That arms them with an entryway to getting them to their own marquee events faster, to be on keynotes or to do that ROI case study. So um, I overshare um, and I do it with the intention of like, this is the best thing for the customer and this is the best thing for the rest of my team. Does it mean I work like harder? Yeah but it's the right thing to do and it serves all of us. And ever since anytime I do that, the, the it's insane. Like the customer is instantly involved with us and they've barely been a client for three months. Like hmm. we'll get a testimonial. We'll get them at an event. Like because you've been treating them like a customer this whole time, 
because there's so much more to the success of like case studies and ROIs are so archaic to me, the way we still do them. Right. Like mm -hmm. you're the, going back to your dark social and word of mouth. Like when you think about going to your a next company, Adam, like, let's say you never, let's say you don't say it web stacks forever. Right. If you go to another company, you're going to remember the people that you worked with at those companies or those vendors or those technologies, right? And you're going to want to take them with you. So it's it's the life cycle of the customer is just never ending. So yeah, that was a long-winded way of saying, do not wait to enter, you know, as a marketer, do not wait to enter an account. Like start that relationship because that creates the stickiness. And that actually takes a lot of burden off of the salespeople who have to worry about hitting their quota and have to worry about making sure they renew, right? Like you're creating an authentic relationship. And that looks like, you know, submitting them for awards or putting them on the stage on a spotlight or putting them on a podcast or et cetera. But too often, I just see markers just sit there and wait until it's been three years and we can say that we've done X, Y, and Z. And fantastic. They don't know who you are. They, <laughs> they don't have the relationship. You could have done so much more with them. So anyways, that's my rant. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Um, and, and just uh, hooking onto a specific point, that's one of your favorite plays is keeping yes. track, keeping a pulse on the who's moving companies. Um, yes. And it's not even like a, th there's a tool that you use. I think it's user gems. Is that what it is? Correct. Yes. User right. gems. Uh, tell me a little bit more about this because yeah, just, just that fact alone that you do that, I think is really insightful and, and, and very clever, but then it's also, it's, it's not even a salesy approach when you get back no. in touch with them. Right. Can you tell me about no. that? I would love to. It's one of our uh, best plays here. Um, and it's definitely sales favorite intent um, uh, data signal. So we work with user gems and I'm so fortunate that they're so willing to partner with us on like product development and enhancement and different ways of thinking of it. So um, we started with just thinking about like how to break into net new accounts, right? So my God, last year, I think we had champions change jobs to even up to three times in one year, just because of gotcha. how volatile things have been. And so do I trust that my LinkedIn, my sales guy is going to update his LinkedIn sales navigator sheet on his own? No, I freaking don't. Do I trust a tool that does that automatically for me? Yes. Also, because I've told them who's important to me. I've told them if they're a signer of the deal. I've told them if they're like a power user of the tool. I've told them if they never use the tool and we're actually maybe even a naysayer of the tool, right? So that we have all this information armed with us when we're going into the net new account. But for the ones that are champions, we put them in a, um, a sequence and I do hate using the word sequence, but it's a sequence <laughs> that's intended to be personalized, but it's all give. We congratulate them right away. We say we're going to miss them, but we know that they're going to have continued success. It then continues throughout the drip just by giving things like 90 day, uh, first things to do, 90 days as a revenue leader. Um, just nothing but helpful content. But we actually get the first replies on the gift sent so by saying congratulations, sending the gift your way. We'll miss you, but you know we're rooting for you. And uh, we've gotten um, very kind marketing things like, oh my God, I'm sending this to my marketing team and having them steal this. And then we've <laughs> also got things like, hey, 
I want to talk at Tuesday at 9 a.m. to tell to fill you in on how we're going to sell this deal together. Like that's huge, right? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's huge. You know, one of those people, one of those champions that move jobs, like they even had it written in their contract. Like, hey, I'm coming to this new job, but I am going to be able to implement Gong as a solution. That's so, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So there, there alone gives you like that's why you need to treat your customers. I mean, there's no, that's, there's no better testimonial for me than that. Um, and now we're thinking about it in a new way, which, you know, I think churn is on everybody's mind, right? So um, we're doing a lot of data to see like, who's at our account, but isn't active using our tool, right? Like how many licenses are on the table that aren't maybe being utilized or underutilized? How many people have we not identified within a certain group that have access to this tool, but aren't in the system? And so we're using user gems for that too, to help us identify that so that we can then build the champions, right? So the first example I shared with you is like following the champions and maintaining them at a new account. This one is actually like, we got the account, but we haven't built the champion or maybe, and then that's how we surface the data of them helping us pull in like, hey, you don't have this X new contact that just moved in um, and you have seats and licenses for this division. Like, let's talk to them. Let's get engaged. Um, so yeah, there, there's many different ways that we look at uh, champions, both like in the sense of like maintaining tabs on them, but also creating them because we are finding that, you know, churn is important now more than ever. And our champion may not be able to get us at their new company uh, just because of mm. the volata volatility of the market. So now it's our job to actually really say laser focused on what are the champions we haven't identified yet? And how do we fill that white space? That mentality needs to be always on. If you're always delivering value and trust to your customers, like they're going to want to take you with you. Yeah. Cool. Um, thanks for taking me through that. Um, what I'd like to dive into now is the buyer group. And I'm curious how you go about understanding the buyer group. Let's say you have a target of a hundred companies, what have you, what's your process and understanding everything that needs to go on in each account specifically, because I think that this is one of the big misunderstandings in ABM. It's like, okay, cool. You have a target account. Cool. You have an awesome piece of content. And then they just try to infiltrate that company with that one piece of content, but there's multiple people playing multiple roles. I'm curious what your process is there. So that's probably one of the hardest groups that I've found myself having to work with. Um, if I didn't own, like if I wasn't, if, if they didn't fall under my umbrella is content, right? Buying groups are complex. And a lot of times companies can produce content that's solely focused on IC or even just heavily focus on themselves, right? Like, so there's um, there's a lot of like brand centric content and not like just letting the voice of the customer be the content. Um, mm. So segmentation is a really big deal for uh, ABM. We're really good at breaking into different buying groups because we are trying to be intentional about our segmentation, about who we're sending to the, our message to and what it is and when. Um, and one of the ways we do it, just like as a tactical example, is we'll have um, somebody that's a huge champion, but another group that we're wanting to get into is like not about it. 
And then we'll do little sizzle reels and gong of be people being like, Hey, I feel you. I used to be afraid of it. I used to think it was big brother, but now I use it every day. This is how I use it. Blah, blah, blah. Like it's changed my life. Like I can't imagine gong without it. And we'll send it to the other buying groups just to show them like, Hey, no, your own peers are your own company. Like they enjoy it and they get it. Like they understand the same pain points that you had or the same fears that you had. Um, so that's like one piece of content that I can really control. Um, but there is a lot that ABM has to do. And this has to start at the top. Um, mm-hmm. Content, like head of contents have to have a very strategic plan at the start of the year of who are we going after and why, and why are we going to support that? And that needs to align with ABM and who their target accounts are. If my target accounts don't have a customer success group, you know, or if that's not our target audience, that's not going to be a great fit. If you're telling me that we are going to heavily go after um, uh, recruiting in HR and finance, but that's not what my account, like, that's not going to be a great fit for me. I'm going to have to build a lot of my own content. So what I've tried to do is I've tried to show the content teams that we're here to elevate their content and that we actually get feedback back from the field on what's resonating and what's not resonating. And so I can even with Gong see that, like the way we presented one research study, like um, uh, in one visual style, versus another style, so like an A-B test of a slide, resonated better. So that even alone is going to help you get more downloads, more attribution, um, proving that you're helping like go through the, you know, you're taking the deal through the funnel. Um, But it's a lot of, it's a lot of negotiation with the content teams because they are not as revenue centric, right? ABM is a very revenue centric function. Um, and that's why it's so crucial that I ask every leader at every company I join, like, what are the top level KPIs for the company? Where does that then fall under marketing? And then where does that fall under each group? And does everybody have that visibility? Because it's super important that they realize that what you're doing over here is going to affect over here. And if you're not doing that, somebody's going to have to end up doing more work than they need to. And it's just probably not necessary. Totally. So you spoke about content that you don't necessarily have uh, control over. Um, I'm curious about the campaigns and and content that you do have control over. Again, referring back to that target list of accounts. um, What, what, what channels, like, how are you reaching out? Is it mostly LinkedIn ads? Is it, you're obviously, um, uh, you know, big into zero click content. Um, you mentioned sequences, uh, I guess kind of in that arena, what are the like best tips and tricks that you can provide as far as, you know, if you were talking to like other ABM teams? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of what we do, I mean, field marketing gets left into ABM a lot, but a lot of what we do is we try to create like micro communities of like-minded peers to connect and do like round time round table type of conversations about their biggest pain points and what they're going through. Our targeted ads are actually incredibly targeted to be using the exact words and phrasings that we've learned from listening to calls or being in meetings that we know are going to address their business problems. Um, You know, we create basically like a micro site for the entire buying group. 
So mm. everybody can log in like secure and you can log in and find the resources that you need, you need to reference and uh, review um, that are going to be helpful for you to get onboarded or what, what have you. Um, but I think the biggest thing when it comes to content and channels, there's, um, I definitely believe in less channels with ABM and being more focused on just where, where they're living and breathing and consuming their own content and going there, um, not forcing them to come to where we want them to go. Um, and then when it comes to shaping what kind of content, so if that's through like a dis distribution channel of ads or emails or what have you, that it's using their verbiage, NARS. And I think that's probably the biggest difference of what you'll see when it comes to positioning between just general marketing and ABM marketing. Gotcha. Um, you mentioned the microsite, and this is a perfect transition. Um, I, I imagine we're, we're, we're transitioning into the area where you probably don't have uh, as much control, but you probably have like requests or expectations. So uh, tell me about the microsite, because uh, I, I uh, at, at my last agency, I actually explored this a little bit. We were going after Fortune 500s and we uh, companies, and we made this um, created this landing page that spoke specifically to that company. And if there were any kind of, uh, like case studies that, that, that we had, but like you said, it was essentially a, a microsite. They didn't have any reason to go to the other website because it's like, we just assumed that they already knew what, what it was. Um, what do you look for in those microsites? Uh, that's my question. Sure. A lot of it has to do actually with knowing who their account team is. So it's very visible who they can reach out to for what, um, and how. Um, there's often welcome videos. So a welcome video from either our CEO or their sales leader. Um, but we make it very clear to them that like, we know, like they're like, you know, five must like can't miss initiatives. Right. And then we align our content to help serve that. Um, I mean, I've done microsites before for even just one individual. So what was hmm. this SVP of sales individuals goals for the year? And how can I provide her with content that's going to make it easier and easier and easier? And she wasn't a customer yet. So that just involved me doing my due diligence and research to find, yes, gone content, of course, but also outside third-party research to help her to reach those goals. Um, so I think if you always take it back to, I mean, you are thinking like a seller, you're thinking like, how can I solve your problem? And how can I make it stupid, simple, easy for you to understand that I know and I heard your problem and I'm showing you that. And I'm showing you that by way of providing you with resources like a microsite or uh, communities where you can connect with peers that are like-minded like you on your own without my intervention um, or just, you know, so giving you opportunities that you wouldn't have already had opportunities to have, like maybe speak to a Gartner analyst, right? Like that's a pretty self, um, uh, non-self-serving tactic, right? To say, hey, use one of our Gartner service hours to go talk to a Gartner service professional. Like don't pay, you don't have to pay for it. You go talk to them about revenue intelligence. So mm -hmm. I think, again, it's the serve mentality of if you hyper-focus in on what is most important to the individual, the signer, the buyer, the buying committee within, that's the best, that's the best you can do. And 
it doesn't have to be, I would do it iteratively too, right? Because if you start customizing all your programs all at once, you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice because you could be wrong and be making assumptions. And so it's better to, to kind of do soft drips over time, the more you learn about the account and the person and how they tick and what's important to them and what matters to them and be very adaptable to change. Um, I mean, now more than ever, we've had to be adaptable. Like, I mean, entire, entire groups and companies are getting cut. So mm -hmm. we have to now adapt to like, okay, how are you going to fill the, like all the needs they were doing? How are we now going to fill that elsewhere? So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a lot of listening. And I think the best thing that any marketer or salesperson can do right now is to not shove something in your face, right? Like um, this is not quite ABM ish, but um, you know, I think people make a lot of assumptions and I know sellers are asked a lot these days, especially now more than ever. And they're under a lot of pressure, but when they get rejected these days, I've been noticing that the rejections kind of getting amplified, um, like on social media platforms, like LinkedIn, for example, and they'll openly criticize an individual for being like, no, I don't want to talk to you on the phone. Like I told you twice now. And then they'll be like, well, is that what you, you, what you would say, you know, to your own team? And it's like, you know, that's very accusatory. Mm -hmm. And this isn't the time to make like assumptions about anything, anybody, you know, I don't know what you're going through, Adam. Like, I only know you through this medium. And just because, you know, Gong may have taught me that this is the way to sell doesn't mean it's the way to sell to Adam. So there's so much listening and questions that we can be asking and asking them with good intent is going to be the way to build and maintain that trust and that relationship. And that's really what all of marketing boils down to is, do you trust this brand? Do you trust this company implicitly, mm -hmm. instantly? Mm -hmm. And you do that by being very intentional about your interactions with them. Uh, wonderfully said. This might be this might be a, a redundant question. Let me let me know. Um, but I kind of in the same vein, thinking about like the entire buyer journey from acquisition through to you know all the way to through evangelism. What to you? What are the weaknesses of most B two B tech uh, tech SaaS websites? What do you wish you saw more of that that would either help you indirectly in your ABM campaigns or help you? better reach out to your, to your targets? Mm. Well, I would love to see less jargon. I would love people to just be very direct in their messaging and where to find things. Um, there's enough technology out there to know. It's just a little bit of laziness on our part on our parts as businesses to force people down a funnel and a buying journey and process that we want to work for us, but clearly doesn't work for anybody else. Um, so I would love to see a future where we're all a lot more like, uh, somebody said it beautifully on a reveal podcast, like concierge to our buyers, right? Mm -hmm. Like giving you the opportunity to explore what you want to explore. And Hey, I'm here if you need me. I can answer your question. 
but I'm not going to shove it down your throat that you have to click this button all the way at the bottom down, down of the page, fill out all these contact details, wait then like for an hour to four hours for somebody to reach out to then ping you and ask you a bunch of questions instead of the other way around to then maybe qualify you to finally get you to see like the a product or a demo. Um, <laughs> it's just maddening to me. Like we know how human psychology works and we know how things work in like our modern lives. Like look how like we use our own smartphones. I mean, look how we interact with the rest of the world. B2B is just so behind in what it's like to be a consumer. And when our expectations aren't met in the way they are in the rest of the, the way we interact with the world, it just creates a very friction like filled process. So just make it stupid, simple, easy for your site to be where they can buy and talk to your people and remove those barriers because those barriers are there because other tech companies are profiting off of those barriers. Mm -hmm. They're profiting off of uh, the Calendly links, the uh, automatic schedule, the, the chat bot with the multiple options, like just really, really, really dial it back and think about like, how can I make it so simple for somebody to talk to me and, and disqualify or qualify me and let's move the hell on. Like, it's just the pain that endures with that. That doesn't help your brand loyalty. That doesn't help like your reputation in the market. It's only serving uh, reporting metrics that nobody's probably even looking at or has really properly implemented. So um, I would say just make your websites something that looks like people, things that people interact with every day. Like I go to my Apple podcast. It's super easy for me to search literally anything the hell I want. And I got it done. You know, like just mm -hmm. think about it like, Google, think about it. Like, look at chat GPT, like just make these things simple, make it easy for people. I don't know. I don't sound, I don't sound that intelligent and that's fine. But no, you do. That's <laughs> you just went in the direction that I wanted to go. And this is the last uh, question that I have before we get into some rapid fire questions. This is actually what, um, this is kind of what we were talking about. I think we're going to be talking about on your pod podcast, but the quote that you just uh, said that I, that I latched onto is how can we make it simple for somebody to talk to me? Right. Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is, well, give them something that they need, right? Give them something that's going to make their lives easier. Give them something that's going to make that help them get their job done. And this is something we've been exploring um, here at WebStacks is this idea of the job that, that is to be done, that they're trying to complete and um, specifically website tools. And you mentioned chat GPT. Uh, do, to you, would it be easier? Would it, would it help you in your campaigns if you if the website had a suite of free website tools that helped your your targets calculate something or generate something? Or maybe there's an SOP or a template that you can offer where it's like you, when you reach out, it's not here is a product that I want you to you know schedule demo or, or get a free trial, but here is a free tool that will help you get something done. Uh, and, you know, if you have any questions later, later down the road, let me know about it. <laughs> Does that question yes, make sense? Because I can learn how you're using it, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what so many people are missing is like PLG motions like that are, I can go behind the scenes and see how easy was it for them to get there? How many clicks did it have to take for them to get to what they want? And did it even give them what they want? Like 
that's just free freaking data. Like, why mm. wouldn't we want that? Do we really need the freaking email address? Do we really need first, last name, company, title, phone number, blah, blah, blah? No. And is it really that scary for somebody to have access to your freaking product so they can better understand it? Is it that scary? <laughs> why are you out to market? Like I, I, I've had to spend, I've had spent most of my career convincing CEOs, like you don't think other people are showing your tool around other people, eliminate the fear of that and embrace like the, your consumer, your future customer actually getting to experience it right mm -hmm. quickly and then learn what works for them. Learn what didn't work, learn what you could tweak. Like that's a gift on both ends. And I think so many people are forgetting that about PLG is that like, you're probably going to optimize the experience and your pocket if you just let them in the door, like the way they want to be let in the door. Beautifully said. Um, Karina, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, this is always, you know, ABM is just kind of one of those things that, that I'm generally just like thinking about, but I, but I never really get a chance to, to truly practice. So this has been a lot of fun just kind of picking your brain around this and I'm going to be taking a lot of this stuff uh, internally. Um, just a, a couple quick fire questions here. Are you going to be partaking in any upcoming events, virtual or in person that you would like listeners to know about? Yes, I am. Um, the one I'm most excited about is this creators uh, retreat. I don't know how we're gonna how it's being called, but um, uh, Nick from Airmeet um, and a few other folks have worked really hard on creating like a new way to conference and network. And mm -hmm. they're they're taking creators out to Costa Rica for a small, intimate, hope hopefully not cult like ceremony, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've watched, I've watched, I've watched too many cult, cult documentaries. That's just where my brain goes. But, but the point, the, <laughs> the point of it is like, let's like remove the booths, remove the forced advertising and just chat with each other. And we're doing, we're doing that already through dark social, right? But mm -hmm. let's, let's do it in person. And there are, I mean, I'm amazed at what Nick Bennett has been able to do to get people to actually sponsor this to happen, to pay for creators to go out and have them not be there, have the vendors not be there and have us just do our thing with people that they want to buy their products. So that's happening in November. Um, I can probably share a link soon for you to share in show notes or something. Um, sure. But that's that I'm most excited about. Like I'm excited about trying new things. And um, I think when you stifle conversation, right? And you don't want to hear what you don't want to hear, that's where innovation goes to die. And I'm just not about that lifestyle. And so I'm so glad that I do I do know other like-minded people in my space that are able to make moves happen that I haven't quite yet been able to make happen yet. Um, that's awesome. I, yeah, I hope that turns out to be a, a, a really cool event. Yeah. Nick Bennett's a great voice in the space. I think there's a really bright future, just the whole group, your whole group, uh, a lot of cool stuff. Um, it's fun to watch you guys like interact on LinkedIn and just kind of <laughs> off each other, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a, there's a bright future in, in, in B2B marketing. Um, where can listeners get a hold of you? LinkedIn, right? Just reach, reach on out on LinkedIn. Reach out on LinkedIn. Um, I am so giving of my time and um, I am so authentically me for good or bad. <laughs> so when you, when you get it, like you're just going to get me no matter what. Um, uh, and then also TikTok. 
I'm a little quirkier on there. Uh, so I don't know. Some people like it. Some people don't. Uh, but you can find me there uh, featuring underscore Karina. Um, but yeah, I'm always happy to connect and share stories and just learn from you too. So thanks for having me on, Adam. It's been great to talk to you. Hopefully your listeners enjoy us.